0: hello and welcome back to the sustainable-ish podcast after a little teensy summer break so how are you how is everything going kitty winks back at school bored of the school run yet <laughs> i found like i spent the whole summer going please go back to school please get back to school please go back to school and now i'm just longing for a lion not to have to do the school run Anyway, today's episode, episode 112, is a first, I think, for, for me and for the Sustainable-ish podcast. It is a podcast episode that was recorded live at an actual festival in an actual field. Actually, no, not a field. It was recorded in the National Forest in the middle of England. Back at the beginning of July as part of Timber Festival, which is an annual festival uh, with a brilliant lineup of talks, music, food, uh, live podcast recordings and everything else you would expect from a festival, including the rain (laughs) when I was there. Because I'm a total geek, I was especially excited about the reusable cups, the reusable wristbands you got when you went in, and the compost loos. I would be interested to know how well they went down with other festival folk if anyone else happened to be there. In this episode, I am chatting to Will Cottrell, chair and co founder of Brighton Energy Cooperative, all about community energy what it is, how it works and importantly I guess how we as individuals, as households and as businesses can get involved. So listen in, I hope you enjoy it, please do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your, uh, your podcasts, it really does help to move it up the ratings and get more ears on it which is what we want. So, without further ado, I will leave you to it. Enjoy, and I will catch you next time. Thank you for coming to listen. My name is Jen. I run um, Sustainable Ish, and it's all about imperfect eco action. So, this idea that we don't need to be uber perfectly plastic free green warriors to be making a difference, and that we can all kind of um, do our bit, no matter how knackered or um, busy or whatever we are. I cover normally cover a really broad range of things on the podcast um, and I've done a couple of podcasts in the past about um, sort of renewable energy and things, but really excited today to talk about um, community energy because I kind of feel like lots of us might have heard that phrase but not really understand what it is and whether there's any way that we can get involved and all that kind of thing. So really excited to be talking to Will today, who has cycled here from
1: Oxford, Oxford. <laughs>
0: So you come up from you've got the train up to Oxford and then you cycled from Oxford yes How many miles?
1: Uh, 150.
0: In how many days? two okay I was feeling vaguely smug because I drove up in our electric car now I feel very much less smug that I didn't cycle <laughs> uh, So you went all the green points already um, so can you introduce yourself to us well
1: So yeah I'm will Cottrell I'm chairman of Brighton Energy Co-op um, which is a one of Brighton's community energy organisations. Brighton Energy co op's 10 years old um, this year. We have 600 members. The average investment that our members have put into Brighton Energy is about 3,000 pounds. So we've got a value of three and a half million pounds. We've got around 20,000 solar panels installed around Brighton. Um, we generate about 5% of Brighton's electricity. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of what I do, that's my job.
0: Brilliant. Right, so let's rewind a little bit. What is community energy?
1: So community energy is, well, it's 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 locally owned renewable energy. And, and the idea is that everybody gets together, puts in a little bit of cash, and collectively, if we all do that, we've got quite a bit of cash. And with that cash, we build energy infrastructure. So that can be solar, in our case. Um, other groups do hydro the first in the country we're doing wind up in the Lake District. Um, and that can be work on energy efficiency. Um, there's some really cool groups in Sussex who are building solar farms to power the rail network between London and Brighton. Wow. There's 10 solar farms being put together now. So there's all sorts of things that community energy can do. But the, 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 the basis is that we all get together collectively and, and, and build this stuff that we need building.
0: So what's your background? How did you how, how do you suddenly go, oh, I've heard of this community energy thing. That sounds a bit fun. Let's go and put some solar panels up.
1: Um, I started... Um, I had a yoga holiday company <laughs> in Egypt. I was living in Egypt. And um, I, in Egypt, I started to... As if anybody's been to Egypt or so the Sinai, is, uh, off the coast of Sinai, just north of Sharm El Sheikh, is the most amazing coral reef system. It's the second most extensive coral reef system in the world. And I was there for 10 years, and over the course of that time, just snorkelling over those reefs, you started to see the reefs going white. Big patches of white started appearing in these. Cor- and it's a process called ocean acidification, and it's part of climate change. The oceans are becoming more acidic as we put more carbon in the air. And it was just became so evident that um, I left Egypt and I came back to the UK because I wanted to get involved with environmentalism. And um, I went to the Copenhagen Climate Conference in two thousand and nine with a, a sort of direct action operation called Climate Camp, and we were protesting outside the gates. And that 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 Climate Conference was sort of called Copenhagen at that time. There was great hope that something was going to be done about climate change, and in the end, it it proved a Catastrophic failure. There was absolutely no agreement came out of that conference, and and so the, the the thousands of people there sort of came away with just no action being taken on climate change. And and I was fortunate enough to spend a couple of days um, in Copenhagen afterwards. And the Danish um, off just offshore of Copenhagen, there's a, a, a offshore wind farm. Uh, it's about twenty turbines, and I was looking at it, and I and I you know how that happened. And it turned out it was a community energy group in Copenhagen and 10,000 people from Copenhagen had got together and built the Mittelgrunden offshore wind farm. So there was this model in Denmark of community energy. So I came back here and um, I stopped doing the yoga holidays and I uh, I started doing, uh, slogging away at starting an energy co-op.
0: So you said the first um, energy co-op here was in the lakes, did you say the peaks? So. Was Brighton one of the first after that though? Was was there already an established model here?
1: I think we were the sixth. Oh, okay. So the first was Baywind, who built a couple of turbines somewhere near Kendall, I think, um, but yeah, we were the sixth.
0: And so you go to Copenhagen, you see these wind turbines, you think that sounds like a good idea. I wanna do something. I'm always fascinated by how people go, because a lot of us will have good ideas. I have amazing ideas every day very very few of them see the light of day and i can just imagine how daunting it must be to go from running a yoga holiday presumably with no background in energy infrastructure all those kinds of things like where do you where do you even start what's the first email you send what's the first phone call you make uh,
1: there's a lot of reading okay there's a lot of uh, and and talking to other people who've been down the path that's, uh, I think, the the most uh, inspiring uh, thing. There's something about stubbornness as well. There's something about just keeping on, keeping on, you know. And and when you, you know, the last 10, 15 years learning about climate change and the situation that we're in and it's an emotional reaction and, and, and it's always, the, the energy cup has always been something that I can do, mm. you know. It's just something, you read about, Ice caps melting, or whatever, and it's like it just okay. I've always felt that if you if something is concerning you or worrying you, or politically, or whatever, the best thing you can do is to get involved and do something about it rather than just sort of uh, talk about it. uh, And so, I think that's 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 been the the, the development of climate change over the last 15 years has always been a motivation for me to keep going with Brighton Energy Co op, yeah.
0: So, um. You wanted to do a renewable energy project. Just, I'm sure everybody already knows, but just for, in case anybody is listening who doesn't, renewable energy. Just talk us through what the definition or what what we think of as renewable energy.
1: Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, that's not going to run out, I guess. It's, it's renewable. It's, oh, it's <laughs> renewable. Yeah, it's it, it, it's going to keep on being there regardless of how much we use of it. I suppose is a so definition. we're talking
0: solar, we're talking wind. Um, I think uh, I'm down in um, the southwest in Wiltshire, and I think in Salisbury there's a hydro project going on. So yeah. it's any kind of renewable energy, yeah. isn't it? And yeah. You chose solar. Was there a particular reason behind that?
1: Because we're in a city, Brighton is obviously a city, um, wind is difficult because you have like fall zones and things of right. the turbines. Although we are, talk- we're talking about putting up some wind turbines at a port nearby Um, now wind is also a lot more complicated and it takes more time to develop so there's lots of like solar doesn't usually need planning permission for example whereas wind definitely does so there's lots of uh, compliance Mm -hmm. stuff that has to be done around wind Um, so so solar is kind of easy i guess hydro too is is complicated you need to get permissions from the rivers authorities and this kind of stuff and that takes ages and Um, so, so yeah, I think solar is just a kind of easy option, really.
0: So, what was your first project?
1: Uh, I was on a little church, um, fronted by the sort of—he's a classic friar type vicar, Father Andrew, St George's Church in Kemptown Town, in Brighton. He's sort of, oh yes, of course, we're going to do that. That's a bloody great idea. And that was a, that was our first uh, one. That's forty solar panels.
0: So, forty solar panels on a church. So you speak to your lovely prior um, and uh, get agreement to put these solar panels on there. And then the next step is to crowdsource that funding for it. I mean, crowdfunding is an art in itself, isn't it? And I guess 10 years ago, it was still a relatively sort of new... It wasn't, people weren't familiar with it in the way they are now. So how difficult or otherwise was that?
1: I think the key to front... Crowdfunding is always emails. (laughs) It's social media. I mean, I was reading some stats in the FT about how it's like a marketing supplement in the FT, and it was talking about what sort of channel is effective through. Has we you know we're more online Mm. and and through lockdown, and it's still emails are the most effective communication channel. People trust emails much more than say a post on Facebook or an ad on Facebook or a Twitter or whatever. So while you can kind of sell your soul on social media trying to get attention for whatever you're doing, y- you know, it's building the email list and putting interesting stuff down your email list is has always been our kind of way to market and it's not just like buy this invest in this you know support us it's like here's a bit of interesting news you might, you know, like but yeah, cultivating the email list, and so that's how we've got an email list of four thousand people, and that's pretty much where we get all our money from.
0: So we're all going to go and subscribe now to the Brighton Cooperative, yes. cooperative email Brighton list and find out more org. interesting mm. <laughs> I'm still trying to get my head around how it works. So, so you need funding for forty solar panels, which cost. Can you remember how much that was?
1: Uh, probably about seven thousand pounds.
0: Well, that's cheap. You want some? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> I think it was seven grand to put 16 on my house. So then you, you go out to your email list and you say, right, we need seven grand. Um, and everybody chips in a little bit?
1: Pretty much, yeah. And we, um, we, we say, look, here's the project. Here are the risks. Here are the financials. This is what we expected to, you know, the operating costs, the revenues. And here's what we expect to give you. So we give all our members 5% return on their investment every year.
0: I was going to ask is it just a you know out of the goodness of your heart that sounds like a lovely project I want to be involved in but there it's not that there is cold hard cash involved and there is a return on that.
1: Yes. Yes. So everybody gets 5%.
0: So not everyone in Brighton is just altruistic as we might.
1: No. I mean <laughs> altruism gets you so far but it doesn't get you as far yeah. as non altruism.
0: <laughs> um so what's the minimum amount people can comp- is there a minimum amount?
1: We have 300 pounds. Other energy co-ops are a bit less.
0: Okay. It's
1: 300 pounds, and um, maximum is 100,000 pounds. Oh wow! But the average investment is, has always been around three to four thousand pounds.
0: Okay. And it
1: just seems like that seems like a safe amount of money to for people to put in. Mm. It's it's usually not all they have. Uh, it's it's like a putting the foot in the water, and yep. might, they might be investing in other other energy co-ops. And people also come in. In they have times in their lives when they come into money. So they might inherit a house, mm-hmm. and then a couple of years later they might not have the money because they yeah. bought a house yes. with that money. So there are you know the periods in people's lives when they when they might invest another in other you yeah know, uh, when when not.
0: So we put our three thousand pounds in. You said you explained the risks. What what are the risks?
1: Uh, the risks is a really boring page <laughs> in the prospectus. Just give us. Um, top. There's things around revenue. So uh, what happens for... Well, all our projects, nearly all our projects to date have been backed by a government subsidy called the feed-in tariffs. That's finished now. So our new projects are not backed by that. So
0: so feed-in tariffs, this is my very basic understanding. Um, if you have... So, like, we've got solar panels on our roof at home. We were lucky enough to get, um, to get them when there was still a feed-in tariff. So we generate an amount of electricity... The, the, our feed-in tariff assumes we're only using half of it and exporting half of it, correct me when this gets wrong, um, and then we get paid for half of the amount of electricity we export. No, half, half that we produce, yeah? And so you That's were it. working on a similar thing. You were getting paid this feed-in tariff, and that was your business model. That was how you were generating these returns for people. Is that right?
1: Yeah, about 40% of the revenue comes from feed-in tariffs. So the rest comes from exporting the electricity and selling the electricity.
0: So now the government's phased out these feed-in tariffs, and I guess you've suddenly lost 40% of your, your revenue. So how, how do you generate revenue now? Because presumably if the if the solar panels are on a church, and I know you've got some on schools and stuff like that, they're using a lot of that. Ele- do they get to use that for free, or do they have to pay for that?
1: At the beginning, on the, the church of the, yeah. the rotund fryer, um <laughs> They we give them the electricity for free because the feed-in tariff was quite high. Right. And then as it was cut, we had to charge okay. for electricity. So now it's a, the feed-in tariff is zero. We charge more okay. for electricity. So we charge... I mean, a school... Uh, we did a school last month. Uh, I think we're charging 10p to them.
0: How does that compare to... I should know what I'm paying for my electricity, but I don't. How
1: do um, <laughs> I think they're paying about 14p. So over the... Uh, it's probably they're saving about three thousand okay. pounds a year on their yeah. electricity bill.
0: So uh, say I've got a school and I come to you and I say we want to get solar panels on our school. You, do we have to pay you for them?
1: No, no, that is free. It's free. Basically, we we we, we lease the roof. Right. Or we lease the three inches above the roof.
0: And so, do you pay me for my roof?
1: No. Oh, okay. We just charge. We, <laughs> <laughs> we, we put the panels on the roof. Right. And then we sell the electricity from the panels to you.
0: And um, this is where uh, you can tell I'm getting confused and you can probably see the cogs going around in my head. So that electricity that's generated, is that going into the grid and you're selling it back to them or is are they literally buying their energy?
1: They buy the energy direct from the panels. Oh, wow. And then any excess that they're not using, we export into the grid.
0: Okay. So... They have, so like I've got a contract with Ecotricity, their contract is with Brighton Energy.
1: Yeah, exactly. We export our energy to Octopus. So if you're subscribed to Octopus, nominally you are getting some of our electricity. Although it's, you know, this is, the electricity market is very virtual. Electrons Mm -hmm. are attracted towards nearby demand. So... In electron terms, it's getting used locally, but Octopus doesn't care about that. I mean, it's very complicated, but...
0: Uh, Is yeah. everybody following, or have we completely <laughs> lost everyone? <laughs> um, okay, so, uh, so your first project was um, this poor man, this rotund, I, can't, I feel really mean that we're calling him this. Um, and uh, you funded seven grand, and they got free electricity, and any surplus then paid your 5% back to your people. Are you getting, at this point, are you able to pay yourself?
1: No. You of
0: freelance yoga work.
1: Uh, what was I doing? Oh, I, I had a website business as uh, well. Okay. I was doing that. <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: Um. And so how quickly did you kind of think this is scalable? This is something that we can do more of?
1: I think it was two years in my bedroom. Um, and it was when, when we got the first office. That was when it started to feel like yeah. a real thing and not just an idea. I mean, it's. I think that's fairly common of sort of startups. It takes a couple of years, mm. in my experience, to get the thing going. But I think it was two, maybe three years before we started paying okay. ourselves anything.
0: Yeah. So fast forward 10 years, and you've raised three and a half million pounds. And how many solar panels do you have? Do you count them?
1: <laughs> yeah, we have 20,000 around the place.
0: Some energy cooperatives, am I right, have, like, build solar farms, whereas you guys are all on existing buildings. Is that right?
1: That's right, yeah. I mean, we have 15 schools, uh, football stadiums, factories, warehouses, uh, churches, uh, local ports. Got a lot, Yeah. all sorts of... Uh, we're looking at a bunch of supermarkets at the moment, academies. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically anybody who's got a decent-sized roof.
0: So you wouldn't come and put solar panels on... A family house.
1: No, we we don't tend to do domestic size. We've we've always concentrated on the on the bigger stuff. Yeah,
0: the so the the case for solar panels on um, sort of business buildings like schools and doctor surgeries and like you say places with big roofs feels like a complete no-brainer, doesn't it? Because unlike a home where you're out all day at work when your panels are generating free electricity for you and then you can't you're not there to use it and then you come home and that that's when you need the electricity it's the other way around with businesses isn't it so i feel frustrated that there aren't you know that every public building doesn't have panels on do you kind of feel that frustration as well
1: yeah absolutely it's it's uh, it, it was a hard lesson to learn that something so blindingly obvious <laughs> is not getting done yeah there's something about the culture of risk aversion that we have that stops us doing new stuff right i feel you know it's just or, or i don't know maybe it's something about the, the britishness we just we just don't like new things right you know, if it's if, if it's something new even if it's beneficial financially let alone environmentally mm. It just the process of getting approval goes through a board of somebody or other, a compliance officer, and then it's at the bottom of their pile. And yeah. it takes us about a year is our average time to, from first contact through to getting yeah. the point where we can install solar panels. And, uh, you know, I guess I've come to accept that that's just how things work. We You know, change doesn't happen quickly. I don't know whether that's this country <laughs> or... I mean the guys who work on Brighton Energy Co-op, the developers they, they you know I don't know how many phone calls how many meetings we have to have the... yeah but that's just how it is yeah it's what can you do
0: um so why isn't there a community energy cooperative in every city and every town if like you you sounds like there's a business model for it It feels, I I keep using this phrase, no-brainer. It feels like there should be, and that every doctor's surgery, every library, every leisure centre, every school should have these panels on them at no cost to them.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you'd think so. Well, I mean, there are, there's there's 300 energy co-ops in the country. Okay. It's quite, it's a growing movement. There's about 300 million pounds been invested. I think there's about 90,000 people who are members of energy co-ops across Mm -hmm. the country. Um, so it is something that's um, uh, been growing quickly over the last few years. So it's kind of coming. Yeah. It's slowed down recently with the lack of with the, when the feeding tariffs changed. Right. Because yeah. that So the business model has had to change slightly because you can't rely on the government to give you money now. And that's 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 a step change because the business model was fairly standard across yeah. those three hundred. Um, and 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 now it's much more of a pure business rather than. Government-supported yeah. business, but yeah, I mean, it's it's there. Uh, I mean, I'm mentoring three startups at the moment, so there are you know they are coming on. But I think you know if you've got sort of an appetite for seeing getting things done and making change happen in the face of climate change, it's a, it's a it's a journey. But there's plenty of support out there to to, to, to take that journey.
0: My poor husband, I'm so going to go home and go, we need to start an energy cooperative. And he's going to go, no, we don't. So I love, love the solar schools thing. I know, um, was it uh, an organization called 1010, who I think are now possible? They had a big solar schools project going on for quite a few years, I think, um, trying to get solar panels on schools. How did that all start? Did, did you approach schools? Did they approach you? Uh,
1: a, a sustainability officer in Brighton Council. Finally managed. Brighton Council are like, ironically, I can't say this if Caroline Lucas is around, but they're, they're just so rubbish. They're like the biggest employer in the city. They should just take them and chuck them in the sea.
0: Now that really depresses me because you're in Brighton, which everybody I think probably holds up as a mm. you know a pinnacle of green. God, if you, if your council are crap, I, I'm dreading. I, I wouldn't even approach my
1: well, there are councils which are very progressive, uh, okay. like um, Bristol, yep. um, uh, Norwich. You know, I think there's a, there's an institutional inertia
0: right.
1: in organisations in that have existed for a long time. They just do what they do, yeah. and, and and getting them to do something different is the old turning around the super tank mm. thing. So, and you and it's difficult to change. The you know local authorities are quite highly unionised. So people tend to get promoted upwards instead of getting fired, and it's this <laughs> kind of thing. So you end up after fifty years of this, you end up with a council that's sort of you know like a Lucy and Freud right. sort of painting, <laughs> <laughs> but, and and it's and then and then they're the people who are that you know have a, a lot of cash and mm. own a lot of assets, and and so it's um, yeah, but but anyway, finally, a sustainability officer managed to get them. To say, okay, we, we want to do solar on schools, and we want a tender, so they have to tender it because right. you, you know, all public authorities have to tender stuff. So we want a procurement framework contract, and that then led to schools being able to say, okay, we can do solar now. Right. And then so that sort of fed. So from, I couldn't you
0: know, bounce excitedly up to my school on Monday morning and say, you should hook up with an energy cooperative and get solar panels, because it needs to be done through the... It needs to have local authority sign off first.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it sort of helps to understand how the sort of peers of, of, of the community of schools and how they kind of look to authority for what they can do and what they can't right, okay. do. Because they'll go to the energy officer in their local authority and say, what do you think of this? And he'll go to the property well, right. asset, asset. So they're all sort of at this level where you, that you don't see... It so parents going in on the front door does have an effect, right? But at the same time, it really does have an effect. Actually, parents going through into okay. the front door, yeah, more than more than anything, except the relationship with the local authority, and right. that it becomes bureaucratic. So that you get these two influences uh, going into schools. You get parents saying, "We want this done," and, yeah. and then the, the council officer saying, "Oh, well, I've been here for forty years. And I've never <laughs> done anything like this. I better ask somebody in authority." And and you know this, so you get that dynamic going on
0: it feels it just have it that just feels it feels hard it feels much harder than it needs to be you kind of yeah why can't a school just unilaterally decide why can't a, a leisure centre of you know all these public owned buildings kind of yeah I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated already I can't imagine what it's like having worked in it for 10
1: years <laughs> yeah it requires a lot of doggedness yes. a lot of stubbornness yeah. I think and a lot of calm stubbornness <laughs> I'm, not, I, very I'm com- not very good at calm. Stop I can do. Calm, probably not. Yeah. yeah. So I just want to, you know, get it done. But yeah. So so those kind of people are an asset in a community energy organisation, the project developers, who are willing to just take it you know, step at time and handhold and be calm and rationally, you know, take boxes and right. you know, that sort of thing. They're real, They're a real asset.
0: Need to find me some of them. Uh, so how many schools have you got in Brighton with panels on? Fifteen. And what there was a lovely graph, I think, on your website of the energy use of a school and the energy production. And they were they were generating nearly 50% of their own power. Is that about right?
1: Yeah, a primary school... We generate about 50% of a primary school's power.
0: OK, so what sort of savings are they looking at? Presumably it depends on how many panels they can get and stuff. But what sort of savings are they looking at making?
1: It's, it's probably two to £3,000 a year.
0: OK. And it hasn't actually cost them anything to installed they haven't had to pay you know like if we get solar panels on our home there's an upfront cost to that and then they talk about the payback period don't they but they haven't had to to go through that
1: no no and we also fund uh energy uh, renewable energy education in our schools so there's some cool stuff that they do and the kids go out and i think one of the schools they the kids found that their boiler wasn't working properly so then the school changed the boiler and so they've got nothing to do with us. Right. But they do this like investigation in their energy usage and there's a like, what's going on, you know, prodding things and so they the, the kids themselves managed to save the school a bunch of cash. Oh amazing. Based on our education. Yeah, really cool.
0: And so you, you will also go into schools and talk to the children about renewable energy and how it all works and
1: We tried going in and talking about it. And that's just a sort of one-off event. Yeah. What we found was better was to try and get the teachers integrating it into their curriculum okay. at different key stage levels. Yeah. Uh, and to do that, we give them a little bit of money to sort of pay for the time of the yeah. teachers to get it. We found that yeah. got it in there rather than just sort of me turning up and yeah. saying what's what, and then you know everything happens as normal.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... In my utopian version of the future, every school, every publicly owned building, you know, an awful lot of individually owned houses have have solar panels. Is that doable? Is that doable in the next 10 years? Um, How do we, you know, sat at home worrying about this stuff? How how can we help to make that happen? Or can we?
1: It's interesting that there are, there's a million houses in this country, buildings in this country that have solar panels on them.
0: So that will be um, houses and big buildings.
1: Yeah, and there's about 30 million buildings in the country. Okay. So 29 million to yeah. go. How do we do that? That's beyond my pay grade, you know <laughs> what I mean? Um,
0: so you're, in, in Brighton Energy Cooperative, generate 5%, am I right, of Brighton's um, total energy at the moment. Are your ambitions to be generating 10%, 50%? 75% What
1: I think our 10-year strategy is 50%. Wow. For, 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 yeah, whether or not that's... I'm not that keen on long-term <laughs> strategy documents because everything always changes. Um, we're doubling about every two years at the moment inside yeah. something like that. So, yeah, but it's, it's, it's quite pie in the sky. Yeah. I mean, really, community energy organisations are the only people doing these kind of school-sized mm. solar systems. The commercial o- solar operators aren't interested in small stuff like that. they like big okay. solar farms, you know, tens yep. of thousands of, of panels. And that's with batteries and all sorts of fancy stuff. So the only way really that schools and stuff are going to get done is via community energy organisations mm. at the moment because nobody else is doing them.
0: And when we talk about the, the need to decarbonize the grid, so to 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 wean the grid off fossil fuels and to be putting more renewables into it what is the role of community energy within that how do you see community energy being a part of the the grid in 10 years time
1: i mean at the moment there's a there's a sort of the electricity market is very complicated and it requires a certain amount of in-house expertise to be and, and especially things like trading and you know futures and and sort of financial instruments and this kind of setup which is really um i don't understand it you know you need those kind of people on board and and there are people like that in the community energy space but um i think it's 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 actually hard to say because there's so much going on especially with battery storage and electric vehicles and uh, y- you know, it's nobody really knows how this is going to play out. There's lots of um, trials going on. Uh, you know, how what happens when you have 10 electric cars on your street? Mm. Do people sell the electricity out of their batteries in their electric cars, or are they uh, a bit uh, you know, they feel that this sort of scarceness? Right. the energy in their batteries. so, so And, and people, we don't know that at the moment. So it's, it's really difficult. I mean, it's a fascinating, well, from my point of view, it's fascinating, <laughs> geeky, this transition from uh, a centralized grid where we've got big power stations dotted around the country, nuclear power stations, gas, coal, to this situation where there's millions of small generators yeah. and millions of small batteries. And for the grid, it's the right headache because they're used to just pumping energy mm. from these big central places down. And now they've just got these tiny little wires and they've got a Tesla at the end of it. I mean, right. there's, a, there's, a, there's a road in Brighton and three, three people plugged in their Teslas at the same time and blew up the transformer <laughs> at the end of the road. And it's like, you know, what are you going to do? There's millions of these things coming. Yeah. And it basically it ends up in a situation you don't have to blow up transformers, but you know when you, you, you plug in your phone and sometimes it doesn't charge. Right. It's because there's a sit- this thing called voltage drop going on. At the end, you're at the end of a line, in maybe in your house. Yeah. Like at the end of a tendril of the... Uh, so we, if you're at the end of a grid line and you've got your electric car and you've got four other electric cars
0: right. before yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: you, your electric car is not going to charge. Yeah. So wh- how's that going to work if we've got zero petrol cars by sure. 2030? So we've got all this to work out.
0: So there's there's bigger infrastructure stuff that the national grid need to sort out almost in order to facilitate these smaller sort of micro networks being able to feed in and exactly yeah so there's
1: there's technical challenges like that but there's also legislative stuff it's very difficult to uh, sell become an electricity uh, provider it costs quite a lot of money to start Mm. one up Uh, and there's a uh, i think it's a local electricity bill that's due to go through parliament next year which will make community energy organize it, it make it much easier for community energy organizations to sell to uh, their locality. Okay. I think that's got about 360 MPs behind it and it needs 450 MPs to pass. So that's quite an interesting development that could happen next year.
0: Cuz there are um there are sort of local energy suppliers already and I and I I'm not sure are these energy cooperatives but I know quite a few over the recent years have sort of gone bust unexpectedly and things. So are those local energy cooperatives or are they people trying to sort of, I, I don't really understand how they work and why there seems to be that instability about them.
1: I think it's hard. Mm. It's, it's. I mean, I know a guy who started uh, a, an electricity company a couple of years ago, Toto. Uh, and uh, I think it have got about 50,000 customers. And, uh, I mean he was just at the edge of his brain capacity you know you could <laughs> visibly see him frying. It was uh, uh, yeah I, I think he sold it to EDF. Okay. In the end. So there, I don't think there are any community owned electricity right. but that's what this uh, local energy like electric, electricity act or energy yeah. act would facilitate yeah. the creation of uh, community owned um, electricity providers uh, who would be able to sell electricity cheaply because they don't have to pay the fees uh wouldn't have to pay the fees that you have to pay to the national grid
0: so you'd almost bypass the grid
1: we'd bypass the fees that okay. pay, I mean, we'd bypass <laughs> yeah and we would have less fees because we're not using uh you know most of the grid right. we're just using the bit yeah yeah, yeah. near to us
0: I, I still i'm struggling with this because um obviously when you have your electricity coming into your house if i sign up if I'm a school and I sign up with you guys, you don't come and put different, or do you come and put different electricity? No, it's coming
1: exactly in? the same. Yeah. You just buy less from them.
0: Okay, okay, right. I'm slowly getting there. So we're all listening and fired up now thinking, this sounds amazing. A, I wanna go and start an energy commu- uh, a community energy cooperative. Um, B, if that does feel a bit of a stretch, um how how do we get involved can i in wiltshire invest in brighton Co- energy cooperative
1: uh, yeah yeah i mean we define ourselves as a community of interest okay our main membership is in brighton but we have people from uh all over the world actually so yeah but i would rather than invest in brighton energy find one that's local to you
0: yeah so how do i do that
1: community energy england would have a list of all the uh energy cops yeah. in the country um wiltshire i'm not sure i can't off the top of my head i can't think of one in wiltshire there, there sure is there one are. in salisbury i think and salisbury, i
0: okay. um this can be completely irrelevant but the wiltshire wildlife trust did a, a and i don't know if they are i think it's a slightly different model we were talking before weren't we and um, they they crowdfunded or crowd a, a, a solar farm that they that then works on a similar model i think so i think there are you know it, it might feel like there's nothing around near you but once you start to kind of poke around and things you you might find um that there are that there are things and and, as, and so the minimum investment is usually about 300 pounds and can i take my 300 pound out again if i do want to go and on holiday
1: yeah have- so this is the bit that nobody ever understands so <laughs> I'll try and explain. Basically, we pay back everybody over 20 years. Right. So, there's a 20-year thing. That's
0: in your 5% returns yes. thing. Okay. Uh,
1: no, so that's on top of the oh, returns. Oh, okay.
0: So, in 20 years' time, I'll get my 300 quid back, and yeah. it'll be worth about 20p, and I can... Uh, <laughs> maybe.
1: <laughs> so, we pay... We uh, Say, if we're worth a million pounds, uh, 5% of that is 50,000 pounds. So, every year, we pay back 50,000 pounds worth of the money, and we pay 5% interest. Right. So... Basically, it's a, it's a queue system. So if you want your money back, we say, OK, well, we've got £50,000 this year. And if we paid back £50,000, then uh, you have to wait. Right. Well, we've never had that situation. Nobody ever takes the money out. We have to... Oh, we OK. Have to, we have to... Chuck them out. Yeah. We, we just say, right, well, we're going to put some money in your bank account and you're having less shares. Oh, OK. Because we're paying you back. Because 5% interest is you know, quite good yeah. at the moment.
0: OK you've had to do a big sort of pivot or whatever with your business model because of the, the changes in the feed-in tariff and things. Where What's what's next for Brighton Energy? I think you're doing quite a lot with electric car chargers and um, what 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 are your plans for the next, other than Brighton Domination?
1: Uh, <laughs> so the electric car chargers thing is a bit of a pilot. So right. So we've got 10 chargers out there. So uh, they're
0: chargers that are connected to your panels and then people are, paying to come and charge up at them and you're generating revenue that way that's right yeah okay.
1: so it's a sort of solar charged electric vehicles yeah. that kind of thing so that's we're sort of doing that that was grant funded so just to see how it works mm. and randomly well not randomly it's hard work but we got a european union grant uh recently even though we're obviously not <laughs> in the european yeah edrf funding okay so we've got a million pounds uh, and we are subsidized people that want to put solar on their roofs factory size sort of right we give them a grant of 50% of the cost so that's obviously an incentive for them yeah. to pay for it themselves and then on top of that we are uh continuing i mean i think the atmosphere uh, as i think many people have seen the atmosphere around climate change has changed in the last year uh, perhaps something like that or it's certainly more net zero is always being talked about so we're seeing people who we've spoken to three years ago and they're just oh, yeah, f- whatever and now they're coming to us and saying okay we want to try and get net an zero like you know local port New Haven port springs to mind you know they're just the feeling out there has changed instead of trying to convince people that mm-hmm. this is a good idea people are now wanting it more Um so we're, we've got quite a busy uh, pipeline of new sites coming up on our on our existing model, so we're build, We're going to be building quite a bit uh, later on this okay. summer.
0: That's really exciting. So, um, so obviously we can get involved by finding out if we've got a local um, community energy cooperative near us, and um, if we do have to have some spare cash floating around, we can um, sort of send it their way. If um, so, I was saying about you know me excitedly running up to school in in the morning. Um, so that's that has a value because it might put it on their radar when it might not otherwise have been. Um, But also if we're, um, say, we're working in an organisation, a privately owned organisation, and there is a local energy cooperative, can we then go to them and say, we'd love to chat to you about getting some solar panels on our roof? Is that something that you do with private businesses and organisations as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of internal pressure from... Uh, people that work in an organisation mm. is often really key and yeah. I think that's something that's really worked for XR is getting people into or facilitating support for people who kind of are already on yeah. board so yeah getting inside the organisation and, 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 and it seems like lockdown has prompted lots of organisations to listen to their staff and sort of treat their staff a bit better uh, or, or uh, you know sort of yeah take on board their concerns mm. So that's certainly something I think has value for you. you And is
0: there a minimum sort of roof space or number of panels that that you would need an organisation to be able to support?
1: Sort of school-sized is is a bit of a a, a sweet spot.
0: But you've got primary schools who are presumably smaller than a a great big secondary school. Yeah,
1: I mean, secondary school's better. Right. Because I'm just thinking, like,
0: uh, where my husband works, he works on an industrial unit and... um, they have looked into paying for solar panels to be on their roof, but would another option be to look and see if there is a local energy cooperative and talk to them? Would that be, like, is an industrial unit big enough?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the key factor is going to be how much electricity they use. Right. So if they're, like, an industrial shed that's got, you know, just doesn't use much electricity, yeah. but if they're, like, a, I don't know, they've got some sort of industrial process, we've got one place which is, like, it's like a hell on earth. It's isn't <laughs> they won't name it but they they uh, dispose of PPE oh wow so they burn it and oh it's god not tell me that <laughs> yeah but, but they've got
0: solar panels they've got our solar panels
1: <laughs> on their roofs yeah and our maintenance guys hate going up there oh um, but they use a lot of electricity yeah Um, so that's ideal okay in, in a way so it's yeah it really depends on what they use. if they're using a lot great yeah that's that's where the sort of financials are going to work
0: definitely fab has anybody got any questions um i'm happy to answer questions but i think it'd be much more interesting probably if will answers questions what have i missed out what's obvious things yeah go on oh somebody's coming to you with a mic Oh, uh, thank you it was really interesting uh i had a question you mentioned that to begin with you only
1: considered solar because it was easier uh, i was wondering now that you're more installed if you would if you are considering other like hydraulic uh, or wind power, or, yeah. Yeah, certainly it's a good question. I mean, I, th- I think we are looking at some wind stuff. It's, I'm a, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's complicated though, and it's, it's sort of as I've mentioned earlier, these things take a year. Solar takes about a year. Wind probably takes two or three years. I mean, I know the guy that developed the offshore wind farm just off Brighton, Rampion, and it's got about. Hundred turbines or something, maybe two hundred. It took seven years. Have we got this amount of time? I mean, it's got to be done, but we haven't got long, you know, to do something about climate change here. I mean, and, and so if you look at the capacity of wind turbines versus solar, thing, well, I mean, it's. I mean, I was talking to uh, the sustainability officer at the council last week. Her job is adaption. They're getting briefed that they have to uh, get ready for four degrees. That's what the okay. council is planning, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was an internal briefing document. That it,
0: by what, end of this century?
1: Well, whenever their adaption plans are due to kick in. But
0: four they're, degrees? They're
1: planning for four degrees, yeah.
0: I was feeling quite hopeful, and now you <laughs> just just like, dropped that on me.
1: It's been a long time. You know, We've been talking about climate change since the bloody 70s. Sorry. Um you know, and, and that's quite a long time ago. Wow! I know I was quite shocked, and she showed me the document. Is like <gasps> that's what they're doing, and she's from XR. You know, what I mean, she joined yeah, the council, yeah, yeah. so you know we need to get this stuff up quick. So, do we have? Well, yeah, yes, we are looking at wind turbines. Yes, but <laughs> I, I want—I I prefer the quicker stuff.
0: <laughs> Anyone else got any? Oh, yeah, we've got loads of questions. Where's my roving? My roving mic. Thanks, Will. That was absolutely brilliant, and thank you for the podcast. Um, You mentioned that you need some buy-in from more MPs. What can we do? What kind of messaging? Who do we go to? What do we do to spread the word to those people who are power brokers?
1: Well, that's a great point, yeah. I mean, I think this Local Electricity Act or Local Energy Act, I'm not sure what it is, but it seems to have cross-party support already uh, I think the Labour Party are all behind it. Uh, there's some Conservatives on board, so talking to them about that would be a really useful step. It's sort of, people really like community energy. Um, it's not difficult to sort of sell it to them so across party. You know, it's not really. I mean, it's actually it's it's a cooperative which is pretty lefty, but people on the right don't seem to realise that. <laughs> so it's it's an easy sell if you like. So that, that act, I think getting the, behind that act would be a really uh, useful thing to do.
0: So that's uh, writing to our MPs, uh, emailing them, asking them. Um, presumably we can go online and find out the name of this specific bill and then say, we'd would really love to know how you're going to vote on this, Would you know, this, this feels really important and we can do that on social i always think um you know you talked about sort of shouting into the void a little bit on social media but you know doing something asking your mp something like that in a public facing forum is i always feel is quite a you know you're putting them on the spot a little bit and uh, that kind of thing so that can be quite powerful as well do you think
1: yeah absolutely yeah get them to if they can you get them to say it in, in yeah person. yeah
0: yeah no Brilliant. i'm not gonna vote for this <laughs> film them like, yeah. Doing yeah, 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 or yeah
1: something yeah it's a great idea
0: um, and in terms of local authorities, you were talking about, um, you know, that's a, a different level of elected representative, isn't it? Like, how, who do we contact at our local authority and, and what do we say?
1: I mean, the starting point is council- the elected so county councillors. Council. Yeah, or whatever the local authority County council. It depends on who owns the building, so you're okay. really talking about um, But
0: So could, it could even be your town or parish council sometimes.
1: Yeah, and, and sort of find, find out where... Find out who is in control of the buildings right. in the area. Yeah. That's, I don't think county councils would own... But God, I've I got know. no idea. <laughs> um, and, you know, the elected representative would be able to help you out. Okay. with that kind yeah.
0: of question. Okay, so we can we can hassle on several layers, yeah. several levels, yeah. brilliant. Um, somebody else had a question as well, I think there was another hand up somewhere.
2: Hi, yes, thank you so much. That was really interesting to hear about this model in the UK. Um, and I also just wanted to know, in terms of things like phasing out the feed-in tariffs, for instance, that's a really, you said that made a step change in the business model for these energy cooperatives and you know in light of the fact that the uk government for instance is hosting the climate cop in Glasgow, in (laughs) uh, this year in november it seems like that's a real step back that they took at that point to phase out the feed-in tariffs a a couple of years back maybe so i'm you really do need that level of government support as well and it's almost like you know you find that slowly they have stepped back on some commitments <laughs> that they made earlier in paris in 2015 for instance so do you find that the work that you're doing is a good example and somehow then pushes them once again to support it or have they just been sort of um turning a blind eye to the success that's been going on under their noses Wow,
1: well, you should never underestimate this government's capacity for hypocrisy <laughs> You know, Amber Rudd, who's the Energy Minister uh, MP for Eastbourne, happily resigned now, went on one of our systems in Eastbourne, uh, which is about ten miles, 15 miles from Brighton, maybe a bit more, um, and two years previously she'd overseen the end of the feed-in tariff regime, so she pops up Unbeknown to us, actually, the, the college uh, just sort of invited her. And she's you know, she's in the press saying, you know, we need more of this. You know, this is exactly what we need and great stuff. You know, and I couldn't believe it. There she is, standing on the roof, the architect at the end of the feed in terrace, saying that this is a great thing. We need, you know, what, can you, what can you do? <laughs> you know, that's, and that is exactly, I think you've hit the nail right on the head. You know, with COP coming up, we need deeds, not words, you know. It's not good enough for companies to ignore what's called scope three emissions. So an oil company can clean up its own emissions but doesn't count the oil that it's producing. It's just, it's just this is not a solution. And um, so Boris's targets and all this kind of stuff, I think it's, it's, it's so important at the moment just to, to make sure that we have quantifiable mechanisms for what we're doing. And rather than just nice words mm. so it's you know it's all very nice for politicians to say you know community energy is great and, and what does that actually mean you know what are they actually doing so you know and it it often has translated into nothing it's sort of greenwash whatever but getting them to sort of you know con- concrete measures and, and I understand why they don't want to do it because it's really really hard but without these measures, all of it's just hot air.
0: Four degrees feel like it's it's going to be quite hard as well, to be honest. so, so <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, the, the, around the subsidy thing, that there's always the argument that, you know, these types of projects need to be able to, you know, wash their own faces, stand on their own feet, shouldn't need to be subsidised. And I think that was, you know, always the idea that these they would be subsidised to sort of get them off the ground and then that would be kind of... But the fossil fuel industry is quite heavily subsidised, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, you get all sorts of tax incentives, all sorts of hidden yeah. support mechanisms, as well as institutional penetration of decision-making. Yeah. Via, I mean, uh, as if you call a few years ago, Caroline Lucas, Brighton's MP, did a really good Freedom of Information, finding out who was working in the Department of Energy, and there was like 200 people who were paid by various vested interests no in that energy department, yeah. So I and mean, that doesn't happen so much anymore, but it's this kind of penetration. I mean, yeah. that's a sort of embedded benefit that yeah. the fossil fuel industry has.
0: Okay, leave leave us with <laughs> leave us with something hopeful. Can we <laughs> going to wrap up? Give us some. I mean, you've you've made a phenomenal impact. Like from going from you know running a yoga holiday to now three and a half million pounds investment in um, you know solar. Do you have a a number for the amount of carbon that that's gener- saved or
1: uh, we do, but I can't, can't remember. remember off the, I mean, the, the, the primary schools are doing about, it's equivalent of planting about 1,500 trees a year. Okay. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. So I, I don't know how much that is across, across our whole portfolio. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, it's always been, for me, it's always been, if you see something that needs doing or you care passionately about, do something about it act just act and yeah. that's how even if 4 degrees is a possibility now you know just get involved and and it's not a pretty sight obviously but the actual the just getting involved overcomes that sort of fear in yeah. a way and, and 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 gives you something that you know at least at least something was done i think that's that's not very positive, is it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's so, just where I come from, you know.
0: But, but ways we can, you know, if, if we're not in a position maybe to start a, a community energy um, cooperative, then it sounds like we can uh, find out where our local energy cooperatives are, chuck them some money if we do happen to have some spare cash. Do you always need, you know, volunteers? And are there ways that people can kind of get involved to support you other than financially?
1: Yeah, getting involved in the local energy co-op is, is a great idea, and volunteering and that kind of stuff. Is so if you've got any useful. social
0: media skills or anything like that, those are the sorts of things that you can yeah, you can utilise. Yeah.
1: I mean, we, we have about... We've got four interns as well at the moment. They're paid internships, yeah. so local energy co-ops do have uh, internships yeah. offered often too, so people can sort of do work experience yeah, yeah, yeah. if you like, yeah. if they want to get involved in the sector. And it is... It's a, in terms of a career it's not a bad area to get involved with because it's obviously the future a growing thing. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. I think that the whole green sector uh, from bikes through to renewables mm. is a is a great place for young people to go and, and, yeah. and, and uh, you know, look for a sort of career direction within that yeah. area.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's, I think it's really easy to feel disempowered thinking about, oh my God, the council are talking about four degrees of warming. Actually, remember this power that we have... Um, as individuals, as as citizens. So we were talking about contacting our local, you know, elected representatives, asking how they're going to vote on various bills, asking how they can make it easier for energy cooperatives to to work in your local community, and your power as a change agent within any organizations that you're involved in. So like Will was saying, if you are, um, you know, if you work for a big local employer, or even if you work for a smaller local organization, ask that question. Is there a possibility? Can we get someone to come round and look and see if we're suitable for solar panels on our roofs? Where are we getting our energy from? Who are our pensions invested with? There's a huge amount of power there, I think, isn't there, that we often forget that we have.
1: And and I think, you know, don't underestimate the power of action, and specifically direct action, actually. I think, you know, I'm, you know, big into... Well, I was big into XR, and I think direct action has been proven to change things you know and i don't think we'd be where we are today in terms of the discussion around climate change without xrs extinction rebellions two or three or whatever it was big create you know ruckus in london i mean roger hallam is a controversial figure within extinction rebellion but i think he's a genius and he he says the worst way to change things is not to upset people (laughs) Because you just nothing happens unless and non-violent, totally. You know, you don't do anything like that, but not violently. But you know, taking action specifically, direct. I mean, Roger Hallam, his his. I don't know if you know, but uh, yeah, I know of him. But
0: yeah, never he heard. was
1: at, he's doing a PhD in King's College on how social movements affect change.
0: Okay.
1: And he was part of the divestment movement at King's. And they were lobbying in their, their, you know, doing their email petitions or whatever. Roger Hallam sort of rocks up and he goes on hunger strike. And so the rector or whatever calls him in and says, look, you're one of my PhD students here and you're on hunger strike. We can't have you starving yourself to death outside our gates. You know, what can I do? And Roger Hallam says, you've got to divest your pension fund out of you know, fossil fuels. Four days later, they took it out
0: for wow. that that's what it took
1: <laughs> after years of sort of being nice about you know yeah. doing the petitions yeah, and the,
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah so i'm not saying it's you know it's got hunger <laughs> strike but direct direct action is, is 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 a proven method to affect social change yeah so you could if that if, if the opportunity arises yeah then you could always do that as well
0: get involved brilliant thank you so much thank you will thank you for cycling up to meet us and i know you're cycling back home again this afternoon um, which uh, is mind-boggling. Don't don't go on hunger strike while you're doing that. <laughs> um, thank you so much. Thank you everyone for joining us. Thank you guys.